Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by the image entitled The Covenant, which is an image that was shot early on a Sunday morning. If I recall, it was about 7 a.m. or maybe close to 8 a.m. So the light is not the amber glow of the few minutes after the sun pops over the horizon, but in full sun, maybe an hour after sunrise which means the light is still coming from the side and soft, not the harsh light where the sun is directly overhead. And there was a small rainstorm that had just cleared behind me. The sun was coming through the moisture that was still in the air and created a rainbow right in front of me as I was looking towards the cross. I moved myself around to get the composition that you see in this image to get the rainbow to arch right into the cross. The other side of the rainbow arches down into the valley floor. If you remember, this cross is on a ridge more than 200 feet above the valley floor. And so the image connotates the impression of a heavenly location streaming the message of the cross via the rainbow to the inhabitants of earth. One aspect that is very unique, something beyond my control, is that if I had shot this image from the ground, the ground that was on top of the ridge, I would not have been able to see the valley floor. However, the construction crew building out the school campus had a huge caterpillar tractor parked there. And so, I climbed up to a point where I was about two stories above the ground, on the ridge. Now the covenant is one of my favorite compositions and not just because of the rainbow but because I know how unique of an angle it was. But in regards to the rainbow some ask me if I use Photoshop and I tell them or remind them that I shot the entire collection on 35 millimeter film and so the rainbow is actually on the negative. And why did I choose the name the covenant? Well, the most obvious answer is because of the rainbow. 
Yes, certain groups of people and or social or political groups have appropriated the rainbow as a symbol or logo of their movement. But I'm referring to the symbol that the Bible says was assigned from God after the worldwide flood that is detailed in Genesis. In that he was promising mankind through Noah and his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, that he will never flood the earth again. This promise is, or was, so profound that it is considered an actual and technical covenant, which, if you take a step back in the history of the Bible, is not a common occurrence. Actually, there's only five. A covenant is one of the most important theological ideas in the Bible, and it occurs at significant points in the Bible's storyline and is the biblical glue that binds God's promise to its ultimate fulfillment. Therefore, the theological history of salvation and the unfolding of God's covenants are very synonymous. This covenant with the promise of the rainbow is referred to as the universal slash Noahic covenant. The others are the Abrahamic covenants, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the New Covenant. For example, resulting in the New Testament regarding the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the accounts of the early Christian church. The Noahic covenant is the first, and it symbolizes more than just the flood. It's more than just about the water. It is universal, and its universality goes across the span of time. We read in Genesis 9, 8-10, God spoke to Noah and his sons, saying, And as for me, I establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and every living creature with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth. So as I mentioned, there are four other covenants, and the big new covenant of the New Testament, which means this Noahic Covenant is the first of two big bookends, and this image combines symbolically those two bookend covenants, the rainbow and the cross. And that is the best place for me to start this devotional, which is the word covenant. The first thing we find out about the word covenant is that it can be defined as a noun or as a verb. They are both very similar. The noun is simply defined as an agreement, and the verb version is to agree by lease, deed, or other legal contract. And in either case, there are two parties involved, meaning there are blessings or consequences for or from either party. In other words, it is or should be a two-way street. Each have obligations and each have potential rewards or consequences. But those covenants with God are not the only covenants that we all have as part of our day-to-day lives. We are involved in many relationships that are governed by the noun or the verb definition of the word covenant. It could be as a spouse when you make vows and enter into an agreement at a wedding. Or it could be when you sign up 
to be a parishioner of a church or sign up to become a member of the gym. There's a contract. There's obligations. There's expectations on both sides. Informal covenants also abound in our life. When parents have a new baby, let's say when my parents would have a, a new baby, then I've just entered into a covenant to be a brother. When you had a baby, you never signed a formal agreement, but you did accept a large level of responsibilities, many times choosing the need of the moment, like a dirty diaper to be changed, above your own needs or items on your to-do list. So I have a question in this devotional, actually a few questions, all of which are of the what-does-it-mean type questions. So what does it mean to be a man or a woman? Not what sex the person is born as, but what kind of person that person became or is becoming. In this context, we are asking about someone who has grown up and has become a self-sustaining person in our society, one through their job or business, to provide for their family and their own needs, while still benefiting everyone else in society through taxes or money donated to nonprofits. And what does it mean to be a brother or a sister? Not just some, someone sharing the same parents and shared DNA, but someone who is ready, willing, and able to help another sibling with anything, day or night. What does it mean to be a spouse? Not just someone who stood one day and read some vows blindly, but one who lived out and surpassed those vows, fully committed in putting the needs of his or her spouse above his or her own. What does it mean to be a father? Not just someone who donated the materials necessary for life or the money needed to keep bread on the table and the lights on, but the one who is in the moment, selfless and full of unconditional love. What does it mean to be a mother? Not just someone who grew a baby in the womb and delivered it under a certain level of distress, but the one who cleans, cooks, and cares for any member in the family as the needs arise. And likewise, what does it mean to be a mother that is selfless and full of unconditional love? Here is one for you. What does it mean to be a saint? A saint is entering into a covenant by treating others as better than themselves. Not looking for the benefit or blessing of a relationship with someone, as, as common in a covenant, but someone who only cares about giving and not getting and not someone who helps just to be seen by others, but one who serves so efficiently that most people are not even aware of the sacrifices or the volume of depth of the need met. And not one voted on and beautified by a, a certain denomination, but the one who met the needs of those who sometimes themselves did not know they were actually being helped by that person. As I suspect just happened when you heard me ask these name questions, these definitions of names, actually more than a name, these 
words are concepts. These are paradigms, and they convey many different images and emotions that come to mind. This is because definitions to terms like son, brother, husband, father, and saint have many variations, and they have as many variations as there are people listening to this program right now. A saint is a person who is viewed as being on the extreme side of all of those definitions, the side of the definition that is the best, the highest application of those terms. It is my contention that a saint lives up to the highest ideals, not just as one or a few of them, but all of them. A saint is the best at each of these, as he or she is able, even within and against the set of challenges that need to be overcome. My point is a saint is the best version of a person they can be. All of us are believers called to be saints. So let's take a step back. What does it mean to be a Christian? If all Christians are called to be saints, well, what is a Christian? What might that be, you ask? Isn't that another definition question? Another, what does it mean to be a Christian question? Well, yes, but in this specific topic, we have a definition from the master teacher himself. In Luke chapter 10, we learn in response to a question about what was the greatest of the commandments, Jesus said to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is as unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. In a similar exchange, in a, we read a, a Pharisee asked Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? And here Jesus, in Mark 12, Use the same two commandments, to love your God completely and love your neighbor as yourself, and then added, do this and you shall live. We see in this passage a few truths. One is Jesus saying, the second commandment is likened to the first. Huh. Well, the first is to love God thoroughly. And Jesus said, loving your neighbor is just as important as the first. How can that be? Well, in Genesis 1, we read that God breathed his life into Adam. Therefore, we all have the breath of God in us. So the proper perspective is to view every human as having the breath of God in them. And even if they are in a bad or a dark place right now, have faith there's still a spark of God in that person and a potential to change, confess, and convert. It is quite a paradigm shift if you meditate on it. The second truth is that Jesus said, do this, meaning follow these two commands, and you will live. But remember, the question from the Pharisee was, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? But Jesus responded with a here and now response. Do this, I believe him to have meant, and you will have a full life, a joyful, loving, abundant life. And this is my point. A Christian called to be a saint loves God, loves his family, loves everyone he meets, and more than just the proverbial, oh yes, I love that person. No, they live out their love through actions. Going back to main terms, you see, I believe a good person, let alone a Christian, there are many sacrifices 
let's say, later in your parents' life, there are things that to be done for them with no one, sometimes not even other siblings, knowing about it. And yes, in large families, there are things you may do for one brother or sister that many of the other siblings are not aware of. Especially as a spouse, no one except God knows about the time that a very interested third party was rejected, or times when pleasures or pastimes were sacrificed for the needs of the other spouse. Or as a parent, maybe there is a family get-together or a party that someone may have missed you at, or maybe they didn't miss you at, but the point was you didn't go because one of your kids or grandkids needed you for something. Maybe there are hobbies, interests, or habits that you postpone or set aside to meet the needs of your children. And that leads us to that last word, saint. What is different about a person seen as a saint? It is in the personal sacrifice I just mentioned. And some may say, yes, but also prayer. Now, many people you know do not believe in God, and thus they feel prayer is trivial. But that is not the point. The point is a saint believes prayer makes a difference. They believe that even the smallest of prayers can have and make a huge difference in the ether. You know, the dimension where angels and demons reside and battle. There was a movie that I mentioned in one previous episode. It's a kid's movie. Tinkerbell, the pirate fairy movie, in which... The dust fairies work with a very small amount of blue dust, a tiny amount that when added to the yellow dust, makes the yellow dust erupt from a little pond into a raging river. The saying on the show was, the blue dust takes the yellow dust from a trickle to a roar. And that is how I believe prayer works. It may seem simple and hardly of any effect to pray for somebody, even a one-sentence prayer. But the exponential nature of the kingdom of heaven is that prayer can, can be amplified and have a huge effect. And thus, a saint knows the power of prayer and lives out the verse in the Bible that says to pray without ceasing. A saint prays and prays and prays Every day, many times throughout the day, a saint prays for almost everyone that they are involved with or that they interact with. The Bible says we are to pray without ceasing. That's not an option. It should be part of your lifestyle. To the point where some saints become intercessory prayer warriors. And since the Bible says we're all called to be saints, that's something for you to contemplate today. And my intention today is to ask you to consider to imitate saints and to pray. Start to pray and pray more. If you are just starting, say something simple to God like, If you are real, God, help me, or lead me, or guide me, or heal me, or save me. I mean, if there is a truth other than a paradigm you know about currently... And if God is real, then could not, would not, God lead you to his truth? 
It starts with prayer. Remember, most theologians agree that prayer does not change God, but it changes you. And pray for others and their needs. When you focus in on others, you are no longer focused on yourself. And when someone overly focuses on their problems, many times it becomes an amplification scenario, making the problems bigger than they are. A scenario that is short-circuited if you are focused on helping and praying for others. Why? Well, if I started this devotion about the covenant, why would I end so strong about prayer? Because at its highest level, the way you can maintain your role as a covenant keeper throughout all the relationships in your life is to pray. Why? Well, in Matthew 25, Jesus refers to the separating of the sheeps and the goats. You remember that story? He guided the sheeps to the right and the goats to the left. Then he prophesied that in that day, in the judgment day, he will say to the sheep, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Why would he be saying this? Because, he will say, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then he will turn to the goats and say, Away from me, you that are under God's curse. Away to the eternal fire that has been prepared, prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Because Jesus will say to the goats, Whatever you did not do for the one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And the sheep will ask, When? When did we do this for you? And Jesus will say, Whenever you did do one of these to the least of these, you did for me. What he's saying is, when you meet the needs of somebody in your circle of influence, you're doing it as unto Jesus. And yes, this parable is about the time of judgment. However, I bring this parable up because even if you are independently wealthy, there's still so many hours in a day. And one person cannot meet the needs of everyone they know in life. But you can pray for them. You can ask God to meet their needs. You can ask God if it be your will for you to meet a certain need of a certain person and for God to help you, whether it be in time or money or both. So in my opinion, prayer can be a powerful, ultra-dimensional force to help those in need, whether they be hungry or naked or tired. So if you can't meet the needs of those you know tangibly, at least pray for them. I have gotten into some particular prayer ha habits. There was one that I shared about in a previous episode. When driving around town, I see a church, any kind of church. I say a quick prayer for that congregation or that parish. And now let me share that when I see a homeless person or someone looking homeless, or somebody looking like they definitely need help, I say a prayer like this. Lord, please send the Holy Spirit to introduce that person to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, I don't know how prayer works, but I believe it does. And so does the saint. 
By doing so, I feel myself staying on the sheep side of the ledger. In getting back to prayer in regards to the covenant, how do the two connect? Well, keeping your side of the various covenants in your life is hard enough as it is. But I believe if you ask God, he will help you stay aware of and to keep your obligations in all the various relationships you are part of. Secondarily, if you love the person you are in relationship with, if you really love them, like Jesus' two commandments, the highest thing you can do for them is to pray for them. The point is, there is a lot we can do for everyone we know and every relationship we are in. You can do much more for them than you think. Because, I contend, prayer can do a lot more than you think. Pray to God for thankfulness, or meaning in thankfulness, in gratitude, in appreciation. Thanking God for all of his blessings that have made you who you are. Not forgetting to also praise him for his majesty. To be quick to say a prayer when you see an amazing sunset. Say, wow, thank you, God. Thank you for reminding me of what a special creator you are. Right? Something. Always be appreciative and also praising God for who he is. Then, pray for your soul that God would forgive you of your sins and to help you on the path from good to better. To send the Holy Spirit to help you take your cross, to die to it daily, so that you can then help others. And then pray for those who you care about. Just start praying, or pray more, and see where the Holy Spirit will lead you. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Have you perceived prayer in its full potential? Do you pray without ceasing? I suggest you meditate on what it means to pray and the meaning of the cross and become a shadow of the cross as you die to yourself today. Doing so removes doubt, fear, and pain and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and strength to sacrifice whatever you are called to even the extra half hour, an hour, and a day to pray, as Jesus did. And do it for the kingdom of God. Go, be that shadow of Christ today. And if you are not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you. Contemplate what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the, in the Bible and consider praying, asking God to refine your soul and to heal your heart. Pray to God, pray to Jesus, ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. Start with a prayer, see where it leads. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this essay's image, The Covenant, along with my other verse then 
Check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T dot com.